surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Back a couple of chapters into chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Amen. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And finally, in the following chapter, in just before Jesus healed the man that was born blind, he stated, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, Father, we just come before you and we praise and thank you, Lord, as we examine this subject of Hanukkah. And Lord, it's maybe a subject that many of us know uh, very little about and never really thought of how applicable it is to our lives. So Lord, as I bring forth this message, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just allow it to penetrate all of our hearts, Lord God, and think and meditate upon what Hanukkah means to us. And uh, thank you for being with us. Be, uh, be with me, Lord. Anoint my lips of clay, Lord. And uh, Lord, may what I say uh, penetrate everybody's heart today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about Happy Hanukkah. Like I was telling people when I opened up the scripture, I'm kind of an unorthodox pastor because I can never remember in all my days, you know, a pastor that spoke on Hanukkah before. So consequently, it's a very little known subject, but it's very important at the same time. We all should know exactly what Hanukkah is and what it means for our lives. You know, at this time of the year, you hear people say, Merry Christmas being spoken. But sometimes you will also hear the persons add to that, Happy Hanukkah. Now, what does Happy Hanukkah mean? You know, very few Christians, it seems like, know what Hanukkah is, as it is a Jewish holiday for the most part. And even fewer know exactly what it means for their lives. Normally, Hanukkah for the Jewish people is a time of light, joy, family gatherings, and feasting. But, you know, uh, the world uh, that's for Jewish people the world over. However, this year, because of the events this past October 7th, for many it is a time of sorrow for those that were killed that dark day. For many others, they are still missing a family member that may have been captured and carried off there into uh, uh, the Gaza Strip by uh, uh, Hamas. You know, I probably uh, would not be devoting this sermon to Hanukkah except for this fact, except, you know, that uh, to me it has special meaning this year after October 7th. Uh, the other, only other reason for talking about it is that we are right smack dab in the middle of Hanukkah because Hanukkah, you see, lasts eight days, really nine, you know, when you consider the beginning part. And I'm going to explain exactly why it lasts uh, those nine days. Uh, but 
Christians should know what happened to initiate Hanukkah. Moreover, they should know what it means to them. First of all, it means a rededication of their lives during this Christmas time, and especially with the new year coming up. Another thing, too, is it means a celebration of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world. And finally, it's a reminder that God can and does work miracles, even in the most difficult times in our lives, when we cleanse our hearts as Jesus uh, did uh, their temple. And also, you know, as the Jews and the, the, the events that initiated Hanukkah, they cleansed their temple too because their temple had been defiled. And we're going to see what that, uh, uh, those events. So first of all, what is Hanukkah? Before beginning this discussion, I should point out that Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. And you read about this in John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. Now, the, it was the feast of dedication. The feast of dedication was Hanukkah in Jerusalem, and it was winter. So Hanukkah always occurs in wintertime, just about roughly the same time frame as our Christmas. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. So Hanukkah was called the Feast of Dedication. It's also known as the Festival of Lights. And we're going to see the reason for that latter, the Festival of Lights, uh, later on in the message. Hanukkah was not one of the original seven feasts that are detailed in the Law of Moses. Those original seven feasts were uh, the uh, Feast of the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of the First Fruits. And I, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when I was talking about the significance of these priests, these feasts, uh, those feasts were fulfilled right in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, seven weeks later, the fourth feast, the Feast of Pentecost, was fulfilled, of course, in the uh, uh, day of Pentecost. The next uh, uh, feast to be fulfilled on God's prophetic calendar is the Feast of the Trumpets. And that's why I am convinced that the rapture of the church is going to occur on the Feast of the Trumpets. Finally, there's the Day of Atonement and the Feast of the Tabernacles. I'm going to talk a little bit about Feast of the Tabernacles kind of towards the end of this message. Now, the only other feast that I can think of, and believe me, I'm not a Jewish person, you know, uh, you know, I should have asked, I, I phoned my friend uh, Linda Gross, who's a, uh, uh, what they call a completed Jew, a Messianic Jew, that is a Jewish person that has found his or her uh, Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to her just yesterday. In fact, I spent almost two hours talking to her on, on the phone yesterday to get a little bit more input, you know, on the uh, what Hanukkah means. But uh, uh, in addition to Hanukkah, the only other feast that I can think of that uh, Jewish people celebrate is called the Feast of Purim, which occurs in the early spring. And uh, uh, that was uh, the Feast of Purim, 
was uh, uh, instituted after the time of Queen Esther. If you read the book of Esther, you know, the Feast of Purim. Purim uh, means the casting of lots. You know, and uh, uh, wicked Haman, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, Hitler before Hitler uh, came about. You know, he wanted to wipe out the Jews. And so he did this casting of lots to find out the ideal uh, day that that would hear, uh, would happen. And of course, uh, God intervened and the uh, Queen Esther interceded on behalf of her people before her husband, uh, King Ahasuerus. And... It, uh, it happened that instead of uh, uh, Haman wiping out the Jews, he himself and his family got wiped out. So, turn about fair play, as they always say. You know, God intervened with that, and that's why the Jews celebrate the Feast of Purim, and they also celebrate uh, Hanukkah. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Esther and the uh, Feast of Purim, that happened at the very end of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament historical books. And right after that occurred the inter, what's called the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period is called that because it uh, occurs between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Roughly that occurred between the years 400 and uh, 400 BC and about the year 1 uh, AD or, you know, just prior to that. The, you know, and, and by the way, when I share these dates up here, they're, they're very uncertain. You know, when I was uh, doing my research for uh, Hanukkah um, yesterday, I found out that the uh, internet sources out there don't e agree exactly, you know, on the exact dates. Uh, so, um, the Protestant uh, Bible has no uh, writings in those that time frame. That's why they call it the intertestamental period. However, if you go to uh, the uh, uh, Catholic Bible, you'll find that there's two books that are contained there in the Catholic Bible called First and Second Maccabees. First and Second Maccabees deal directly with this. Uh, the institution of this holiday, Hanukkah. Now, the story begins with Alexander the Great approaching Jerusalem about the year 332 B.C. And it said while he was encamped in, uh, around Jerusalem, outside the city, he was intending to put the city under siege. Uh, uh, it said that the high priest came out and approached him with a scroll of the uh, prophet Daniel. And uh, specifically, he pointed to uh, uh, Alexander the Great, Daniel chapter 8. And in that, uh, there's the vision of the ram that t had two horns. And the ram with two horns, the two horns represented the Medes and the Persians. And all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, this he-goat appears with a single horn, and it smites the ram and destroys it. And then the interpretation is given right after that, that uh, the uh, uh, he-goat with a single horn smites the ram with the two horns, you know, Persia, Medes and Persia, and destroys it. And that's exactly what happened with Alexander the Great, is he defeated uh, Persia in the clash of the world empires at that time. 
very important event because even though uh, uh, Alexander would only live about another 10 years after that, through his conquest, that began what was known as the Hellenization. That is, you know, the expanding of Greek culture to the known Western world at that time. And one of, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, some of the Jews then uh, tried to, um, you know, Hellenize, that is, you know, get uh, the, the uh, Jews there in the Holy Land to adopt Greek culture. But one significant thing that happened from that is that uh, uh, Greek began to be spoken throughout the Greco-Roman world. And that played a definite role in the expansion of the gospel because the New Testament was written in that language, Koine Greek. That became the common language, at least of those that people that were educated. Okay, so um, it's said that Alexander the Great was so impressed by this vision and its interpretation that he spared the city. He even didn't impose you know, the uh, uh, Greek uh, religion upon the, the Jews because of that. But later on, upon his death in 323 uh, B.C., Alexander the, the Great, the, the vision and its interpretation were also literally f fulfilled because in, uh, you know, uh, Daniel's vision there, the single horn fragmented into uh, four parts. That's exactly what happened after uh, Alexander died is his uh, uh, empire that he had established and it didn't last very long. Again, it only lasted for about uh, 10 or 15 years. It fragmented into four different parts. Two of those kingdoms factor in into Hanukkah, which were the Ptolemies of Egypt and the Seleucids of Syria. If you look on the map, you'll find that uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judea are right smack in the middle of those two kingdoms. And they were constantly fighting back and forth for possession of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. Kind of seaside back and forth. Uh, and another factor was, as I was mentioning before, there was a faction of the Jews that were there in the Holy Land that adopted this Hellenization, the, the adaptation of the Greek uh, culture. And there was a clash between them and the, the people that favored the Orthodox religion of the Jews. Now, about the year 170 BC, a king arose from the Seleucids, the ones in Syria. Uh, he gained control of the Holy Land. His, his, his name was uh, Antiochus uh, IV. He also called himself Epiphanes. What does Epiphanes mean? It means God manifests. So, of course, he didn't know the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. Instead, when he said God manifest, he was talking about the Greek God, Zeus. So, Zeus manifest. And he sought to maintain this control by suppressing and defiling the Jewish religion. And what he did is he went into the, the temple there... And he set up an idol of Zeus and an altar to Zeus. And, you know, horror of all horrors, you know what he began to do? He began to sacrifice pigs on that particular altar. 
Now, if you know anything about Jewish dietary laws, you know the you know pigs and uh, the eating of taboo, uh, uh, and the eating of pork are taboo uh, to them. So this was just kind of the ultimate slap in the face to the religion of Yahweh. So. In a real sense, Antiochus Epiphanes was the uh, ultimate man who sought to uh, <clears throat> cram down this Greek culture into the Jews. And by the way, this... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a slide behind here. Okay. Oh, not, no, I'm not... <laughs> Okay, uh, this matter of desecration of the uh, temple was also predicted by Daniel the prophet. And you read about this in Daniel's chapter 8, 9, 11, and 12. Four chapters, it mentions this and it's called, referred to by Daniel as the abomination of desolation. So Antiochus Epiphanes therefore became a type of the future Antichrist who shall appear in the end times. Jesus himself talked about this uh, uh, abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. What did I tell you about Matthew 24? What, uh, that was his what, what discourse? What's called the Olivet Discourse because it occurred on the Mount of Olives. And in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus proclaimed, you should know this because I talked about it just a few uh, weeks ago, he talked about the uh, events surrounding the end times. And he said that the abomination of desolation is going to occur again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. So it's a sign that the uh, times of the end. Now this desecration of the temple wasn't just a short period of time. It lasted three long years from the year 167 to 164 uh, BC. Again, these are uncertain dates. And it was about that, that point in 164 that a priest by the name of Mattathias uh, arose and they came to his city. He lived in the uh, uh, Moldwain or something like that. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, they came to his city, which was located about maybe 20 miles uh, away from Jerusalem. I looked on a map of uh, a modern-day Holy Land, and his home city was located about halfway in between uh, what modern-day Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And there came a man from the Hellenistic Jews who ordered him to offer this sacrifice of uh, a pig to uh, Zeus. And Mattathias refused to do it. And instead he killed that man that was ordering him to do that. Well, after that happened, uh, uh, Mattathias... Um, he became a marked man because of what he had done, and he fled to the hills and the deserts to wage guerrilla warfare against Antiochus Epiphanes and, of course, the uh, Grecian Jews. Now, he had five sons. I don't, I'm not going to recount their names. You can read about this in Maccabees. 
By the way, this, this story is found in 1 Maccabees chapter uh, 2. He had five sons, but the chiefest of these was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus, also called Judah, you know, uh, before the Judas of uh, Jesus' day. Judas was a, uh, considered to be an honorable name. And so he, Judah was also called Judah Maccabee, and that's where we get our name uh, Maccabees from. Now, after the death of Mattathias, and he died just a short period after you know he instigated this rebellion, Judah took over the leadership of the uh, clan, and he was eventually able to defeat a far greater fighting force that was arrayed against him. Again, you know, the Lord intervened there, and he retook Jerusalem, and his first item of business was to rededicate the temple. Remember, the temple had been defiled by the abomination of desolation. It had been profaned by Antiochus and the Hellenistic uh, Jews, and that's why Hanukkah is called the Feast of Dedication. Remember, John 10.22, it was the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. He first removed the idol and altar of Zeus and then every other uh, defiling stone that was associated with them and he carried them out to a place that was considered unclean. And by the way, this account, if you're interested, you can find it in uh, 1 Maccabees chapter 4. He then discovered, to his dismay... You know, they, they needed to have this consecrated oil with which to light the, uh, the menorah, you know, that was in the holy place. And he found that there was only one cruise of oil left over, that the seal, you know, had not been broken. All the rest of the, the seals had been broken and they were considered unclean. Now, the problem is one cruise of oil would only last for one day. And so, miracle of miracles, that one cruise of oil that should have only lasted one day, lasted eight days. And that formed the basis for the eight days of the Feast of uh, Hanukkah. So, that was a miracle of God. And here you have, you know... Normally, like I said, one cruise of oil would only last one day, but this one lasted eight. So that's why Hanukkah is also called the Festival of Lights. And that's why the menorah right here for Hanukkah, you notice it's got uh, eight branches, you know, four on either side of the uh, central uh, 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 candle here. Whereas the menorah that you find in temple worship only has uh, six branches uh, stemming from the central, uh, uh, central branch. Okay? One, each one of those represents another day. So on the first day of Hanukkah, they light the central candle here. And then the, the ensuing uh, eight days afterwards... They take that central candle and use it to uh, light up these other candles. The seven branches 
you know, three on each side of the central branch of the temple menorah. Among other things, <clears throat> such as G it represented Jesus as the light of the world, I see them as also representing the seven spirits of God, which you read about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, and uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And reading from Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A rod shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So that central one right there is the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? And then you have the uh, other six uh, spirits of the Lord, which are the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, very important uh, uh, verse there. The Hanukkah menorah, on the other hand, has the four branches growing out from either side of the central stem. And so the eight total branches come out, represent the eight uh, days that the consecrated oil uh, cruise lasted. So in celebrating this, there are eight days of Hanukkah. And again, actually, there are nine days counting the uh, first day when the central branch is lit. And each one of those eight branches are lit during the eight days. And this year, those eight days, really nine days, are December 7th through 15th. So on Wednesday began the first day of Hanukkah, and it will continue on until the 15th, which is going to be this Friday. Now, my object in getting up here, my objective is not to give you a lot of useless information that you really feel like you can't use. And Hanukkah is, has uh, very much you know, the, uh, ap it applicable to us as Christians. And I'm going to give you, I'm, in closing, I'm going to give you three points here that I thought of. The first is, just as the Jews of the times of the Maccabees thought it important to cleanse or rededicate their temple after it had been defiled, so we too need to examine our lives before the Lord and cleanse it if it need be. While Jesus was almost certainly not... Uh, Born on December 25th, they always talk about, you know, the speculation. You know, actually, the uh, uh, the early Christian Church decided to adapt the uh, uh, holiday, the Roman holiday of Saturnalia, because they were hoping to draw pagan people into the church, and they trot, sought to uh, draw away people's uh, uh, thoughts away from the uh, pagan roots of Saturnalia and get them to think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it may well be that, Je that God allowed the celebration of Jesus' birth to occur on that day. So thus as his birth, we celebrate his birth on that day, so we need to celebrate the day of our rebirth. Jesus said what? In John chapter 3, verse 3, what did he say? Except a man be born again, 
he cannot perceive, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So even if our salvation didn't occur on uh, December 25th, we can still celebrate it as the time of our rebirth. Amen? As the time when we invited Jesus to come into our lives. And that's why the true spirit of uh, uh, Christmas. Everybody talks about the, uh, you know, spirit of Christmas. I've talked to you about this in uh, times past. You know, everybody talks about the spirit of Christmas. What is the spirit of Christmas? The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of giving. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so on Christmas, we celebrate John 3.16. For God so loved the world, or as the Greek word, God loved the world in this manner. He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just as important, we need to cleanse and renew our lives from a sin as we look forward to the new year. The new year is a time of new beginnings. It's a time that we need to be examining our lives and repenting of that, all that uh, you know displeases God and thus rededicating the temple of our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's number one. We need to cleanse and rededicate our lives just as the Jews rededicated their lives during the time of Hanukkah. Second of all, we need to take the time to celebrate Jesus as the light of the world and that we can follow him and not walk in darkness. John chapter 8 verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not, shall not walk in darkness, but have the life, light of life. And then he followed that up in the verse, uh, in chapter 9, after he gave that lengthy uh, uh, light of the world sermon you find in John chapter 8. He followed that up with uh, <clears throat> uh, chapter in chapter 9 was the story of the man that was healed, that was born blind. Remember the story? The one where he got before the uh, uh, Jews. You know, they demanded to know who healed you. You know, this guy's got to be a sinner. And he says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But all I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. So John chapter 9, the miracle of the man, healing of the man born blind was a sign that Jesus is the light of the world. And that's uh, what he is saying there when he uh, uh, prefaced you know, the healing of the blind man, man born blind. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's no doubt in my mind that the miracle of John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind, directly followed his uh, light of the world sermon. And I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, 
that John chapter, that the miracles that you read about or in the messages that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 8, 9, and 10. This is, when I say, you know, you know I'm, I'm not really convinced, but I'm speculating. Whenever I, I tell you something that's not specifically spelled out in the world, word, I will tell you that. And there's nothing specifically that indicates this. But I am speculating that what happened in John chapter 8, John chapter 9, and John chapter 10 all dealt with this uh, <clears throat> feast of dedication and the lighting of the candles. In other words, the, that Hanukkah so many years ago. I'm convinced that they all happen uh, one after another. And I really believe that when Jesus uh, said, I am the light of the world, it occurred right as they were lighting that, that uh, middle candle. Again, this is my opinion, okay? Don't, don't take it as gospel. Uh, my opinion is they had just lit that central candle in the... Uh, uh, menorah for the Hanukkah. They just lit that and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now the reason why I believe this is because Jesus had a flair for the dramatic. You see this in just the prior uh, chapter. John chapter 7, the Feast of the Tabernacles. He goes up to uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then you read here in John chapter 7, uh, verse 30, starting at verse 37, reading through verse 39. In that last day, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom they that believe in him, on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know when he said that? It, was, it says it's the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. You know, in that feast, you know what they had? They had a special ceremony where they would pour out water. And scholars say that it was at that very moment that Jesus picked to demonstrate that he was the giver of the Holy Spirit, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. So to me, because Jesus had a flair for the, the dramatic, it just all fits. You know, with what happened in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 12, where he said, I am the light of the world. I believe it was right then that they lit the first candle on the uh, uh, menorah for the... Um, uh, for the uh, uh, Hanukkah. And everything else fits in there. You know, you have the, his, you know, sermon on being the light of the world, chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. And then in chapter 10, you had, it says it's, it was in the Feast of the Dedication. Now, kind of a little parenthetical uh, part of that, though is Jesus' message about being the door of the sheep and being the good shepherd. But to me, that matter of him being the good shepherd, he said the, the good shepherd speaks out and his sheep follow me. That fits right in with what Jesus said in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. Amen? Everybody see that? 
So, you know, I never even thought of this before, you know, how John 8, 12 would tie in with Hanukkah. But to me, it just makes sense. And even the timing is uh, right. Because remember, in chapter 7, we just saw it was on the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles occurred in October of that year. I'm convinced that from uh, John chapter 7 on, all occurred in the final uh, year of Jesus' earthly life here. And maybe chapter uh, 6, you know, which is the uh, bread of life sermon. You know, I think that happened too, because right after Jesus said, I am the bread of life, you know, the fulfillment of the feeding of the 5,000, those were signs. Remember, I talked to you about signs before? A sign is significant in what it points beyond itself. If I see a sign out there that says hurricane, you know, uh, uh, 10 miles or something like that, you know, how do I get to hurricane? Do I get out to the car and just kind of try to climb that pole? Is that how I get there? No, it's because that sign points to what's beyond it. So that's the difference between a sign and a miracle is a sign points beyond. A sign is a miracle that points beyond it. And the sign in that case was Jesus was the bread of life when he fed the 5,000. And the sign occurred after uh, the uh, uh, sermon in this, you know, I am the light of the world. He showed the healing of the man born blind. It was a sign of that. So to me, you know, all of this is fit. You know, I never even thought about this uh, just until I started preparing this message. Good stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's go on ahead and wrap this up with a final uh, practical application here. The meaning of Hanukkah for me, number three, God can and does work miracles in our lives, even in the most trying of circumstances. That first Hanukkah occurred during a time of civil war, and upheaval for the people of Israel. But even during that dark period, when the word of the Lord was rare, God was still at work. You know, there was kind of a parallel time, the period of the Judges. You read the book of Judges. The period of the Judges lasted about three or four hundred years. And the children of Israel fell into a pattern. And the pattern was found in uh, the end of Judges where it says there was no king in Israel at that time. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And so they fell into that pattern of they would sin and God would send, you know, a a judgmental force upon them. The Canaanites, the uh, uh, Midianites and uh, uh, these other enemy tribes to them and they would oppress the children of Israel the children of Israel would call out for help from God and he would send them a deliverer, a judge and at the conclusion of that time period 
You find read about that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, we're in that same kind of uh, uh, <clears throat> time period right now. Because this nation has lost its way. And there may be some severe trials that are going to be happening to our great nation on up ahead. And we need to be ready for them. But we need to think about this because God can still work miracles. He can still work that revival that we are seeking. Amen? The miracle only occurred, though, for the Maccabees because they chose God and sought to cleanse that which was ungodly in their sacred temple. And our lives, too, may be filled with upheaval. Maybe we're going through some problems at work. Maybe we're having problems in our homes. Maybe we've got a wayward uh, son or daughter. Uh, maybe we've got sickness or sickness in the live, lives of our loved ones. Or uh, uh, even the loss of a loved one. God will see you through this and God will work his miracles. So God can work these miracles in our lives in his own ways. But we must first make the effort to cleanse that which is ungodly out of our uh, lives. We need to get right with them. And then we can stand back and, as it said, says in Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 20, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. We can walk Watch him work the miracles that we need so much in our lives. So the lesson of this is, if you want God to work miracles in your life, first it's important to cleanse your life and get right before him. So I just conclude this message with the, that message. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. And think about what 